Brendan, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Um, we, I'm really looking forward to I work with you, obviously, yeah. in the Entrepreneurial Spark. Uh, I'm not allowed to call it that, any RBS uh, Accelerator yeah, and yeah. program at Gogoburn. And you run a um, business that's not champagne, it's sparkling wine. And yeah, don't, don't use champagne, we'll get in trouble for that. Uh, champagne method. It tastes nicer yeah, than champagne, yeah, yeah, personally, yeah. I think. Um, Renegade and Longton. Um, tell us more about your business and yeah, tell us a bit, bit more about it. So basically, I'm using traditional methods um, that have been around for actually thousands of years before even sparkling wines were made. Um, you ferment a, any ingredient and it, that's basically how you get alcohol. Um, and I'm using different ingredients in the champagne method. Uh, it's called tr- traditional method. And I'm making, at the moment, I'm making two flavours. got an elderflower and an elderflower rhubarb and strawberry. Because we're using the champagne method, we've got the same sort of alcohol percentage at 12% ABV um, and keeping the sugar level quite similar to a brute champagne as well. Um, the whole idea behind it is to use different ingredients and different flavours in a sort of artisan craft way in a more traditional market. Um, so you've already had gin doing that, you've had beers doing that, you've had vodkas, you've had all these other spirits doing it. And there's two markets in the alcohol section that have not got to that experimental stage yet because they're more entrenched really. One is whiskey and then the other one is wine. Um, and I'm looking to do that to what, what's happened to gin, I'm looking to do that to the wine market. Okay. And you're obviously on this podcast because because of sustainability yep. and because of the way that you run your business. Could you take us through how, you know, I guess take us through how you run your business or how, like where you started from and why you ended up running your business? And the way I'm running it. Um, so I guess it probably goes back to how I was brought up. Um, and it, it's, it's almost like second nature to, to, to make the decisions I'm making. Um, so just background, my mum's an artist, my dad's an architect, so slightly hippie background, parents living on the Isle Sky. I've always had certain things in my house that seem normal to me, but are actually just coming in now from an environmental perspective. So our house has been triple glazed since the early 1990s, proper insulated, actually limited electrical supply. We've had other forms of sort of energy generation, um, whereas that's just been the case because Mum and dad have the architectural training. They've looked at it and gone, well, that makes economical sense, mm. let alone environmental sense. So mm. they've, they've, with the triple glazing, for example, they've, um, they just had that installed in the house because it was going to cost them less over 10, 15 years mm. than not having it. So that was, that was the decision. So applying that into the business role, it kind of, it's, it's second nature to me to go, well, okay, it might be a little bit, it might not be intuitive initially to go for the environmental approach to things but actually in the long run it's probably always going to work out um so that's that's where i've really gone with it and it's behind a lot of my decisions on sort of the packaging um so one decision that we made before even it wasn't even thought about to be honest is we went for paper labels and then that would have been that decision would have been made maybe 16 months ago maybe actually a bit longer than that um and then suddenly it's so maybe about 12 months ago that the whole plastic, plastic mm. in the sea, plastic waste, all that suddenly took off. So are most labels plastic? Most labels have some sort of plastic right. in them. Um, the reason being behind that is the if water interacts with your label. So obviously paper-based label, if it's in an ice bucket for two hours, it will start to disintegrate. Mm. 
Um, but in my mind, that that's that's actually acceptable, and most consumers most consumers are okay with that. Mm. Um, especially now that they're looking at sort of the environmental impact of, okay, well, we have a label that sits in the bottle perfectly, but it's gonna destroy the environment, mm. <laughs> which mm. which 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 would you rather? But it, it's those sort of decisions that I'm kind of making. I've made, um, and it's it's transparent to be actually it works in the longer run. So if you if you can make the right decision early on from an environmental perspective, it probably works out for the business as well. Mm. And that's that's tends to be my whole thinking with everything. Okay. And you can you get environmental bottles? Uh, so part of our issue with our bottles, um, I mean, glass bottles essentially are reasonably environmentally friendly in terms of it's just sand. Um, you're not you're using a natural material and you're just re reworking it. And you can just recycle them, can't you? So is that, you can that recycle must be a good them. thing? Yes. Um, the one thing I would really like to do that we can't do because of the nature of making a sparkling wine is under quite a lot of pressure. Um, so our bottles have to be able to withstand 12 PSI, which means you can't reuse a bottle once it's been used once because there's a risk that there's been some sort of stress on the bottle, that there's some impurity in it, which will then decrease it below the 12 PSI threshold. You right. could, in theory, go and check all of them and test them, but that's actually a lot of extra mm. um, input, which makes it not actually environmentally friendly mm. if you've got to check every one. Um, so other people, so one com company that used to, do, I don't know why they've stopped actually, but, but, but frustrating that they have, but bars used to do the glass bottles. Um, and they used to do the recycling scheme, and that's something I'd love to do. I just have to figure out a way that we can use our bottles in a different way. So I'm, mm. and this is probably what I'm going to ask at the end of the podcast, um, is for um, ideas on what we can do to use our bottles in a mm. more environmentally friendly way. So ideas at the moment I have is something to do build, building blocks, fill them with sand, or even even if they go in as filled with air, it creates that air pocket in, in a building. So there, there's definitely something we can do with them. I just haven't come up with the right thing yet. And then once I can come up with that thing that makes that economic sense, we can then offer some sort of uh, recycle policy on our bottles, which is mm. something that most other people are not doing. There is actually on the, so sparkling wine is probably not the most environmentally friendly market because you actually have to have this physical bottle for every 750 mils of, of liquid. Mm. And a, a glass bottle is a heavy, heavy thing. Um, and it's actually a lot of, a lot of um, resources go into making it. Obviously, it's better than it being a plastic bottle, um, but actually, there's the carbon footprint aspect of making making glass is, has a natural impact. Um, something we are looking at in the not too distant future, once we have our own site, there's a lot of consumer side things to this part, but it's some, something that's definitely going to happen at some point is um, wines out of kegs. It kind of already exists, so it's wine on tap, basically. Mm. Um, the problem with it is the consumer sees it as being cheaper. Mm. That's all to do with presentation. But then if you if you look at the environmental aspect underneath it, a keg is about 80 litres. You can mm. get an 80-litre keg or a 40-litre keg. That's that's one keg and that's a much lower amount of materials used to support that amount of liquid. Mm. So it's, it's, it's on the verge of being 40, 40 times more efficient than, than just... What about like, those 5-litre kegs? You could even do those as well, but but actually, mm. I mean, the smaller you go with your, you, yeah. your container, the yeah. less environmentally friendly yeah. it is. I wonder if you've if you have you done or 
thought about doing a um, where they cross over. You know, yeah, yeah. what's the point? Is it only half a litre keg to a bottle? Or is it, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at that in enough detail yet. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess one, one aspect to look at would be the, um, you've got Jeroboam's, Methuselah's, the, the larger mm. bottles, basically, um, which technically will be more environmentally friendly because, but mm. actually, actually, the problem with those is once you open them, you have to use it all because the nature mm. of, of sparkling wine, it, it, once it's exposed to the air, it oxidizes, etc. Um, whereas with a keg, you can actually just serve a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Mm. This is probably going to require a lot of consumer research as well as branding it in the right way mm. because people have a thing in their head about you drink wine in a certain way. Mm. And if it's on a tap, it means it's r probably rubbish. But actually, mm. it's it's nothing to do with quality. It's just perception. Um, so it's getting oh, you that. You should just start doing it. You're... you're product will stand up for itself <laughs> there, 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 there is an element of that but people people do look at brand yeah. and brand is important to people yeah. um we i mean this this actually ties back to what i was saying at the very start about you make the decision and actually the economics will back it up so it's environmentally friendly to sell on a keg mm. but it's also much cheaper for us mm. i mean a bottle costs us it depends on what volume you're ordering. It can, it can be anywhere between fifty and a pound, fifty p and a pound right. for the bottle, and that's that's even if you're massive scale. So even your bottles per second that are making millions of bottles, mm. their bottle are costing them around fifty p. Um, whereas a keg is not is going to be a couple of quid for the whole keg, and that's mm. supplying. So actually, you can see really quickly the economics make sense mm. to put in a keg. Um, but it's it's that that brand message. So all, all it requires is someone to go. David Attenborough type person mm. with, with with the plastic waste it suddenly went oh of course straws absolute mm. ridiculous thing why, why are we all using straws and suddenly it all cuts down it's getting that that conversion to that point is that is the really difficult part um, and that's what we haven't quite got to that stage yet I think our, our first stage is get ourselves established prove ourselves with our environmental credentials on certain levels and then really it, i guess it's it's always making small steps mm. and always looking to improve so the keg aspect is, is our next level of improving mm. and our environmental aspect um but actually at the same time we're still doing as much as we can with um with the labeling that we're using with with the production process something we've, we've talked about before actually is the i really want to know what our carbon footprint is for production Obviously, small brands, quite difficult to do it when you haven't mm. got the cash flow necessarily to look into it. I'm pretty sure we will be better than traditional wines because we're not using grapes. Mm. Grapes are quite a labour-intensive crop to produce, so therefore one of ours is elderflower, the other is rhubarb, strawberry and elderflower. And we're looking at, sort of, we're looking at Victorian-style ingredients, so things that are local mm. to the UK market. Should, in theory, be less miles travelled for them. Also, you can still get them from... This is probably not the the right message, but larger farms are technically mm. more environmentally friendly because they're more efficient in how they use mm. their resources. So it, we, we're still able to apply those things to it. So our um, our thinking is we should be a lot better than grapes. Because grapes require a lot of effort and a lot of mm. uh, maintenance. But again, we haven't been able to put the cash into proving that yet because mm. it's obviously it's a balance between them. But yeah. I went for a meal on in the Lake District this weekend at a restaurant that had CO2 attributed to every single menu item yep. and I chose my meal 
in accordance with the CO2 and what I wanted. So I, I didn't go for, I didn't go for the, the least CO2. But the thing I wanted initially was, I looked at the CO2 and went, I'm not doing that. Was it a steak or something? I it was something, it was actually lamb, funnily enough, yeah. which New Laura, Zealand, Laura found, well, it must be because Laura found yeah. that rather weird being in the Lake District. But, um, and of course I don't eat meat that often. Um, I actually don't, to be honest with you. I'm yeah. now saying it tongue in cheek, but I don't. Um, partly why I was going to eat it out. But I wonder if we end up going down the root and of that of looking at our products and going co2 and thank you very much for listening to the green element podcast we really value your opinion and we're wondering if you could take part in a survey that helps make this podcast better please www.greenelement.co.uk podcast survey i hope you enjoy this episode that of looking at our products and going co2 and i mean in an ideal world yes um one of my main concerns i guess would be is is where do you draw the line because mm. it, it feels like it'd be very open to manipulation for some people to be like this is incredibly this our co2 footprint this but they've just manipulated how they're doing it i mean that's mm. obviously you need to set the standard of how it's recorded mm. um i'm just thinking off the top of my head for example, with with a grape wine, they might they might argue, yeah, our footprint's really low. We we um our all our grapes are handpicked by um, local people. We don't have any machinery. Da, 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 da. But actually, that's that's not really true because there's a, there's all, all those local people picking it. There's they, they they each have their individual carbon footprint that you should be adding into it. Mm. And it's it's that it's that long chain and where you draw the line. And it, it feels like it, there'd be a lot of manipulation of it to, mm. to some extent. Obviously, ideally, yeah, you could you, you'd have some sort of template that's put forward. This, for every this is the standard way of measuring mm. it, and yeah. Um, but yeah, who knows? It, mm. I mean, if you said maybe 15 years ago, all the menus are going to have the calories on them, and they're all going to have. I mean, every restaurant's mm. going to have three vegetarian options. I, mm. I mean, I remember. I, so I, I am vegetarian, and I've been vegetarian since I was a kid. And I, uh, I remember going to restaurants and having like half an option basically. It was the, mm. a couple of sites, and you're like, okay, that's what it is. And now going, I'm like, oh, there's three options on it everywhere. Mm. So you never know how things can change quite yeah. quickly. Again, the other aspect I would say with that is it probably requires people like yourself to really set those templates to make it as easy as possible for your smaller mm. producers. Because I mean, I know myself, cash is tight, and mm. and you do want to do all these things. But it's it's making those. It, so, for example, I do a lot of sampling. I would love to have non-plastic sampling things. Mm. I'm not presented with any of those options that are even viable. So, mm. I mean, let, let, let's say the foodies festival that I did um, just leading up to Christmas. It was an indoor event. People should have just been given a tasting glass. That was part of their ticket. So it's, it could be in glass or it could have been something else, but it should be in their permanent thing. And they should have had a couple of stands where they could go wash it if they wanted to wash it out. Mm. And then they can go and sample all the same things with that one glass, mm. as opposed to every stall there. So there's 12 gins there and a couple other wines and a couple other people. And I know myself, I probably went through a thousand samples plus. Mm. And that's a thousand little plastic cups. Whereas mm. if, if you, let's say there's, I think there's maybe 4,000 people there. Mm. So you, you just give 4,000 people a glass thing. That's part of their event. Mm. That's a lot less 
strain on the environment. Also helps all exhibitors, so I don't have to spend 25 mm. quid on plastic sampling cups. Mm. But it also means I can be environmentally friendly, but there's no other option for and me. And they can brand those glasses. Exactly. Well. There's, so, there's so many. I mm. mean, apparently it happens in Europe for these te- similar type of food events. Mm. They're given these things. Um, that's one thing that has really annoyed me about it. I'm like, they're, they're billing themselves with these environmental things and then yeah. they don't make it possible for these things. Mm. Um, and that's a really simple one. That's not, that's no, no hassle for them, really. Mm. Um, it's, but it's those simple things that, that people don't necessarily think about, perhaps. But What would you say your business superpower was? Persistence. Persistence? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to tell us more. Uh, I basically just... So... It, I guess this comes down to my sales aspect, where I, I, I've done a lot of cold calls and a lot of calling to the targets and businesses mm. I want to get into. Um, and if, for anyone who's ever done it, it's the worst experience because you, you literally phone someone up and they say they say no, but normally they're like a gatekeeper type person, so they're, they're the person there that says this person's not available. And and what you've had before you start the calls, normally you send a couple of emails because you you managed to get hold of the email address of the person you want to get in touch mm-hmm. with, but that person tends to get thousands of emails, so then they're not really going to. There's a chance they might respond, but it's kind of more of a you have to send the email before you can mm-hmm. make the call. Mm-hmm. So you then send you then call the person up, and the person says, well, if they've not responded, they're not interested, which is never true. It's more if they're not responded, they're not probably not read it, or then there's mm-hmm. not a chance. Um, so then that, the next step is well, how do you get through that gatekeeper? And it's like persistence of like finding different different ways around them. Mm-hmm. So one uh, slight trick I might have done recently, so my background's an accountant, I mm-hmm. phone and ask for the finance department who don't know that they're not allowed to transfer you to the, the next person. So I get transferred from the gatekeeper <laughs> to the finance department and then from the finance department to the person I want to speak to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so long as you're honest about it and open about it, mm-hmm. people are normally okay. So uh, I was speaking to a distributor the other day and he said, yeah, you are, you're, you're really persistent. I was like, well... How else? How else? I was going to get hold of you, and he admitted to it. He went, "Yep, that's that's fine." I'm, I, to be fair, I, I would do the same. So, mm. as long as as long as you're not uh, an arse, yeah, and you you you, mm. you you're open with what you're doing and why you're mm. doing it. Most people are okay with it. Yeah. And actually, if you say if you're not interested, let me know, and I I'll, I won't contact mm. you. Mm. There, there. That's also fine because you you've given mm. them that option to. Yeah, so that, that's that's where yeah. I say I'm, that's how my persistence. Is. I've, I've I've been told no a lot by different uh, sales op- op- opportunities, and actually a few of them have ended up. I managed mm. to get a couple of sales out of them, so mm. um, that's probably it. People buy off people, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to running a sustainable and ethical business, what would you say your biggest struggle was so far? Cost. Mm. Um, so going back to those plastic sampling cups, um, I would love if there was an uh, environmentally friendly option. There's not really that that matches them, but there's like a so e- e- this isn't even comparable. But there's a, so you got plastic sampling cups which, which work for sampling sparkling wine in, but then there's these like little paper things that you could in theory use, but actually they just don't work for sampling. Mm. They're they're more for like sampling with pots of yogurt or something like that. Mm. Um, but even even then. For the same sort of size, and if you order in the same volume, you're looking at three times the price. Mm. And I, I would love if someone can. I've had a look for stuff. I, I've not been able to find anything yet, which is be able to offer me the same sort of thing anywhere near the same price. Mm. Um, and as I say, if you're going through a thousand, a thousand sample cups, and you're tripling the price, and that that, that mm. makes a big difference when you're starting out. Um, it's those types of things that that I'm. 
unfortunately, the uh, it, it probably has to come from government to fix it because the reason the reason that I had to go for these plastic ones is just because the price is right for them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if if you had, for example, a tax on anything that using oil to make plastic to to make it the same price as everything else, then it doesn't create that option. We and then and then and then as a whole the whole market then ups its price. Whereas if you're the one standing out saying I'm going to do this up your price, most people buy on price, mm. and so you're you're going to lose out and you're not going to be able yeah. to. So it's it's that it's that balance of mm. yes, you want to be the leader, but you can't be the leader and and have your price mm. too far away from anything. Your price yeah. needs to be close enough. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I could be the most environmentally friendly product. But, but no it, one would ever buy you. But no one would ever buy me. So <laughs> I'm, at the moment, I'm priced at 18 a mm. bottle, 18 pounds a bottle in retail. And if I, if I wanted to be the most environmentally friendly, I'd have to go in at like 50, 60 pounds a bottle. Right. And with, no the, with exactly the same product. Yeah. So yeah. The, the underlying product's the same, but just yeah. the, the credentials are, are yeah. excellent. But actually, some people will buy it, based on yeah. that, but not enough. Like to, to be really mm. that that brand that changes the environment, you have I to remember, get the belt consumer in. I remember working in the wine trade and um, finding out that Petrus is organic. Yeah. And they don't, they're not certified organic. They never, they've never used pesticides, they've never yeah. used fertilizers, anything, because they know that that gives them the best wine. And I found that slightly bizarre that they have thought exactly, and yeah. at that time, the, what is it, ecological, um, the Vino, Vino Ecological, I think it is, um, standard that is in France is so expensive to get yeah. that they just went, I know we're really expensive, but you know what? It still cuts into our profits. What's the point? Yeah. We are the best wine, so why do we need to we don't need, tell we don't people need to, yeah. that we're environmental at the same time? Yeah, the, I mean, there's another aspect of that, um, that I looked at recently was uh, getting the Vegan Society stamp on the bottle. And I can't remember the exact number. It was a number that was like, well, that's not that's not just. It was about a grand they quoted me for it. And I went, well, you're not really help. You're you're then just a business in your own right. You're not helping people who are vegans. You're just trying to make money. Mm. Like, surely you want brands to sign up to, to you and be vegan. Mm. And so what I, what I went with, well, I'll just write it myself on the bottle because because actually it's a labeling thing. Mm. So long as you can back up your claims, then. That's fine. Okay. So there's there's like uh, trading standards basically. If mm. you if you put a, put a claim on your bottle, you have to be mm. able to back it up. So you can write vegan on it without mm. having the vegan society. It's more just that stamp of mm. approval to get people in. But looking at it from an economic perspective on, on that, if they've charged me a thousand pounds, I need to generate X number of sales to cover that that cost mm. just just to make break even on it. And that's just never mm. going to happen based on the, uh, what they're they're offering. Um, and then the same applies in the example with the wine industry. With when they've said that, that they're um, oh, they are using organic methods, but the the verification process costs so much, it's not going to get them any, enough extra sales to mm. to cover that cost. Um, so it is getting that balance between yes, you want to get these messages mm. across, but actually you need you need to stay in business otherwise. Mm. So what sort of glue do you use for the backing of your um, your vegan? We. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but it's. Um, but you know it's, that it's, yeah, it, yeah, it, it yeah. is because I think a lot of glues do have yeah, animal the, stuff. Yeah, in. yeah, they've got the um, horses and stuff. Um, mm. I can't remember what the top of my head it is, but it's one. So we use a very small uh, label manufacturer in um, where they in London somewhere. But they, right. they, I mean. This maybe might have been a mistake, but it's also it gives me the flexibility. So 
they've not really done large production runs. They're, mm. they're actually a very bespoke kind of, they make really nice small runs of things. So we made 10,000 of each, which is their largest ever production run for a label. Mm. So they've got like, this is where we're going, but they're, they're quite a high-end manufacturers. They've got all mm. the really good products, really nice things. Mm. So we've got embossing on our label, gold foiling, all that type of stuff, but it's also paper. Um, but yes, yeah, so they've, they've come up with the glue for us and they've put that on for the label. Brilliant. Um, so can you tell us a bit about how, I mean, you've talked about your environmental management and your, um, how are you, do you, do you have a set approach? Do you go, right, so this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it, or is it, do you, is it more innate because you grew up on Sky, because of your background, because of who you are? I'd say it's probably more innate. It's more innate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean... Instinctively, it's yeah. Instinctively, I'm like, well, that's the right thing to do, and mm. that's and it, it will make business sense in the long run. So I've got I've got a business partner, um, and he just couldn't get it initially why I was pushing these lines, and then we got someone who bought off us because we had no plastic in the label, and mm. then as soon as that happened, he went, oh, I understand it now, and now he so he I've, he's he's more in charge of the operation side of things, whereas I was more in charge of sales, marketing, branding. Mm. Um, so it was quite tricky that I was trying to push a line on him that he wasn't fully mm. sure on. Um, but now he fully gets it and he's actually in the process of doing a really detailed uh, product audit and where everything comes from and where, where all our stuff is and, and how, how we're making it up. And, and actually then creates a plan B option of, well, if this happens to mm. this supplier, what are we going to be able to do to fill I guess risk analysis yeah. comes into... The, um, you'll be able to do a carbon footprint on the back of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's that's mm. the idea. I mean, once when you're starting out, it's very difficult to have a full track of everything because mm. you're dealing with so many different suppliers and you haven't got your. I mean, so we've we've literally just done our done one production run because the way the wine uh, works is you you do a batch production basically and it's not continuous, mm. so you don't have those long-term supplier um, relationships and it's trickier mm. to get that balance of understanding where where you both want and what what you're looking for. Um, so that's why. I've, I've got Richard looking into um, detailing exa exactly where everything is, contacting our suppliers, making sure what they're able to provide, when they're able mm. to provide it, and then that also allows us to look at the carbon side of it as well. Mm. Okay, okay. What's the best way that we can connect with you and understand more about your business? Um, so I would love it if people have ideas for what we could do with our bottles. So any, any follow on social media, we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. I would like to say I update it more often than I do, but I'm, I'm not very good on any of them at the moment. So, uh, but I, I do, when I, when I get a message, I do respond, but it's more, I, I'm not good at posting on it at the moment. Um, but it is something we're looking to do more of in the, coming into the summer, because that's our, our main busy season. Mm. Um, but yeah, if, if people could send me any messages of ideas, what they would, do, what they would want to use our bottles mm. for, if they had. We've also got corks and metal caps as well. So th those are the three main things that I would like to find some way to reuse. Cork's a great material, um, mm. and there's lots of things you can do with it. And I've opened like a thousand bottles of sparkling wine now, mm. so I've got a, hundreds of corks just lying around that I'm like, mm. there needs to be something better I can use these mm. for. Um, if people have ideas for anything that we can use with the bottles, corks or foils, uh, great. Brilliant, and all everything will be on the show notes at the bottom of it. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Brendan. Thank you. Perfect. And um, good to chat. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. We created this podcast for you. So we'd really appreciate any feedback you want to give us. You can do that by rating and reviewing on your favourite podcast or for iTunes, visit 
greenelement.co.uk forward slash apple. If you'd like to keep in touch, then we invite you to join our free Facebook community, which is everything to do with sustainable and ethical business. Lots of daily conversations, themes and great ideas. A really great place to work and network with like-minded individuals. If you open Facebook and search for the green element, hit the group search function, we will let you right in. All of the show notes, any links, any references to the, on this podcast will be featured on our website, greenelement.co.uk. As a special thank you for listening, please head over to www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018 and you can pick up a free guide on how to green up and environmentalise your business or organisation. That's greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018. Finally, I would like to thank Ben Chatwin for writing the fantastic opening music. He is an amazing artist with a phenomenal following. It was a privilege he said yes to even write it for us. We look forward to seeing you next week and hope you have a wonderful day.